0: Welcome back to the Office Marketing Podcast with Mike Swigert, the podcast all about sales tips, mindset, and value bombs. Five questions to help make your day more productive and learn a thing or two. Here is your host, best-selling author, Mike Swigert. Hey,
1: everybody. I am I'm excited about this uh, conversation I'm about to have. We're going to talk a lot about lighting. We're going to talk about lighting communication. We're going to talk about sales. We're going to talk about all kinds of great strategies to um, sort of, if you're in lighting, how to get your brand out there, or if you're not in lighting to kind of uh, peel back the curtain a little bit on lighting. Uh, we have someone who's here that has insane, insane experience from Lutron, Cooper, Osram. Um, he is running one of the growing, uh, really an amazing uh, platform called Inside, Inside Lighting, a great resource for for the lighting world. It's also an amazing consultant for the lighting industry. It's Al Yuzinski. Al, you, you're coming to us with decades of of experience and can we jam it all into 30 minutes? Can you do it?
0: No, we can't do that, but we're gonna have fun uh, trying. So thanks for having me, Mike, good to be with you.
1: Um, so I really am, I'm, I'm so glad to have you. You and I have, we've, we've hit it off so quickly Um, there's so much that you have from your, uh, your acumen in controls and, and lighting uh, between if people even knew the behemoths that you've been a part of, um, if you could steal a little idea from each of them and share that with us today, that'd be really cool. We'd really, we'd really love that.
0: Awesome. Is that my cue to do that right now, Mike?
1: (laughs) No, no. I'd love for you to start back. Hey, why why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Why don't you go back kind of, um, you know what? What got you into this crazy world of lighting? This this crazy interiors world. Uh, sure. What keep, what keeps you in it? Maybe maybe we won't go there. But like, what got you in there? And uh, you know, what was your what's your path look like, Al?
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, engineering major in college, and out of college, I was looking for technical sales jobs. I knew that um, I didn't want to be a design engineer, and frankly, I, I graduated in the half of the class that made the top half possible. So I wasn't really uh, pursuing like design engineering type jobs. So I wanted to go into sales engineering, having some, some sales experience earlier in high school and college. So um, Lutron, the worldwide leader in lighting controls at the time hired me right out of, right out of school. And uh, that started my path into the lighting industry. And uh, some people might say, oh, you haven't, once you get in, you can't get out, you'll never escape. But I don't see it as anything you need to escape from. I just, I love the industry. It, it marries the, the, the science along with some of the creative things and the people you meet along the journey has been really uh, enriching and rewarding for me. So most of my career was focused on working for, for manufacturers, um, many of the larger ones, like you mentioned, but even just a couple um, what I would call underdog brands, um, some of the smaller names. And, and even when I was with the big companies, I always um, felt like I was an entrepreneur trapped in a large company. So occasionally I would get, or maybe even sometimes frequently, depending on who I was working for at the time, you get that project that, you know, they wanted to give a special project to somebody. It's not necessarily going to help your bonus plan or help you in your main job, but it's going to help the company with some medium to long-term goal that they have to validate something or start a new pioneering effort in some area. So I've enjoyed that, that trajectory over time to where I started in sales career in New York City and then um, eventually went into sales management and then some general management with some of the larger names. And then a few years ago, I decided to you know kind of do my own thing. My life's in a situation where I'm no longer worried about you know providing for a family of four and, and leaving a, a 401k and a, and a healthcare plan to kind of do something entrepreneurial, bet on myself. And that's where I started uh, mainly doing consulting. And now um, maybe by accident and maybe partly by plan, it spawned into this online media site inside lighting that you mentioned that's becoming a pretty valuable resource for lighting industry people.
1: I I, I think you and I both know we can talk about this stuff forever because I love, I want to dig in a little bit. Let's go back. Let's go into sort of your, your enterprise world, even and you could pick one, whether it be Lutron or Cooper or Osram, right? So like, what were some of the biggest takeaways you had from working for these large companies? Like what 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 did you really learn most? Positive. What did you learn that was positive? Yeah,
0: of course, yeah. So so um, I think one of the more formative ones was was Lutron because number one, you know, they're a large name. I was they hired me I was literally 21 years old fresh out of college, so I didn't have a, a Rolodex and for, for, for those millennials, a Rolodex was a paper thing one had on their desk with, with names and business cards and phone numbers. But, but ultimately I didn't have a contact list of industry contacts, I was fresh out of school. So the name opened a lot of doors for me and I, 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 I appreciated that. But at the same time, one or two of the things that I got at Lutron was um, the work ethic and the um, kind of the, the don't focus so much on the competition. And, and focus on what you can control and what you can do. Because um, in their position, they were the leader and they weren't concerned about what some of the second and third tier companies were doing. They were concerned about what they were doing and, and really you know, spent very little time, at least back in the nineties when I joined them on you know, worrying about the competition. And the work ethic side of things, it brings me back to a, a, an interview I had so I'm still in college. I went to Villanova, but I, I, I found a way to get onto the interview schedule at, at the Ivy League neighbor Penn, which I never would have gotten into, but I somehow got on their interview schedule. And um, one of the things that they mentioned during the interview is that, well, you know, we work a lot of half a days at Lutron. And mind you, this is when like waking up for an 8.30 a.m. class was like a chore. It was really hard to not hit the snooze button three times. And, and I said, half a day is at Lutron, really? And they're like, yeah, well, a half a day is 12 hours. And I'm like, oh, okay, gotcha. So, <laughs> so, so th- that was like kind of the early thing that kind of in- ingrained in that, along with, you know, you don't travel during business hours, you travel on Sunday nights and Fridays after five. And, you know, that changed a little bit over my career. But so, and, But then moving forward through some of the other stops I made, Um, working for some of the large guys where we did focus a lot on competition, but because it was a market share game and a much more fragmented piece of, you know, if you're trying to sell a two, Two foot by four foot light fixture that goes into a school or an office building. There's literally 100 competitors that you have for that um, eight square feet in that in that um, ceiling. So, so when when I when I grew the career it was more uh, understanding, you know, some of the principles of managing people and managing um, independent reps who don't work with you but partner with you. And I think that was um, part of the biggest part of my career was was understanding that that rep manufacturer relationship and i know that you have audiences that aren't necessarily lighting so it's a rep is not a dealer per se because a rep um of course doesn't own the product ever they don't buy it and then resell it um they, they they're your local sales team and they provide a service to the local customers and then get a commission off of it so treating them more like a partner rather than someone that worked for you or that you worked for them um, was, was really important, particularly when you were one of the lesser important brands. Uh, if they could make more money with someone else, why the heck would they sell you? But right. you have to get reasons to do that. So some of those things as far as forging business partnerships that were profitable, that, that was win-win and not just thou shall sell my stuff because there's a contract that says you're my agent. I think those are some of the important lessons over time.
1: Oh, That's good. That's good. Well, how, and you say over time, but how does that age, right? Because I think there's a lot of great strategies to have. And as a consultant and as, as seeing the big picture, right, there's time to say, hey, guys, let's just focus on what we do and focus on the client and manage us and put blinders on and just be customer-centric, right? But then we also have stories of companies like Xerox and Circuit City and, and um, you know, we, we can go down this, this route of companies that, kind of did that, keeping their, de- keeping their head down, doing what they're doing. And then they, they got blindsided. They didn't, see, they didn't see the future. They didn't see, you know, Toys R Us. And if, if I'm naming brands that you've never heard before, um, these are behemoths that don't exist, right? Kmart, Sears. Um, you know, how do we blend keeping our head down and worrying about us to kind of keeping our eyes on the periphery also? Like, what's the answer there?
0: Well, I don't know if I have all the answers, but I would say is that um, paying attention to the channel is really important. Um, if you go to a trade show, whether the trade shows in lighting or furniture or flooring or other things, there's going to be the big names, right? You're going to see the, the the huge ass steel case booth or the big Hayworth booth or in my industry the big names in lighting. But there's plenty of you know 10 by 20 booths there with uh, or, or 20 by 40 booths at these shows that also have like. 20 to 120 employees that are making a living in that same industry and they're carving out a way to have that business and maybe some of them are using a channel and maybe some of them are smaller and more nimble and aren't as reliant upon the channel that was the main way to do business 20 years ago that they can sell direct to customers in a way that, that the big guys can't and then over time um that'll hang like like back in the 90s it was controversial when certain brands and all sorts of construction related categories were selling to home depot and lowe's and now you know, you can't imagine certain lighting brands or other brands in other construction areas not selling through those channels. Um, and, and I think that's evolving in other areas. So, so paying attention to the channel and also paying attention to your platform. You mentioned a lot of companies um, like the platform. You know, I remember I had a marketing teacher when I was going for my MBA talk about um, you know, there were companies that were in the railroad business a hundred years ago that thought they were in the railroad business, but they were in the transportation business. And as that changed, they went out of business. You bring up a lot of companies, I'll add Blockbuster to that list. They thought they were in the video rental business, but they were really in the entertainment business and bringing that to, uh, to the consumer. So, so you need to look at ways to, um, evaluate where are the trends going so that you can focus, um, on your, your main channel, but also don't shy away from finding ways that with, with as little conflict as possible to, to, to spread your wings into other channels that are emerging. Cause they're eventually going to catch up with you and be a, be a portion of the business that you mm-hmm. need to participate in.
1: That's it. That's a great point. And you and I talked on our, on our pre-talk, we were talking about light fair and we hope light fair happens. Um, if you're listening to this, we're recording this in the, the spring of 21, we're hoping that, uh, light fair 21 happens this fall. Because of that, because if I'm if I'm a behemoth company, and all of a sudden I go over there and I go, "Huh, that's how you're using technology. That's that's brilliant." And they, it might be someone with a ten by twenty, and you know, a rented backdrop, but they have an idea. You know, you don't know where uh, you know the next uh, Uber is actually going to happen, and does it happen in lighting? You know that. It, there, it's an it's an older industry with a lot of great opportunities.
0: Yeah, for sure. And 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 lighting is is like you said, it's older. And there's like there's some fundamental things, and this might be, you know, in other construction industries as well. Like like finding a product that's kind of made to order, that doesn't have a, a four-week lead time, and maybe sometimes it's 10 days or two weeks, or I mean, there's gonna be some companies that try to, you know, make that transaction really really easy so it doesn't have to go through this arduous process and have readily available product that's ready to ship that's configurable with fewer SKUs for the distribution channels but also lots of choices for the installer and the end user who has to live with that product for the next um 7 10 15 20 years so so i think there's gonna there's some opportunities there and even just the way we we transact business you mentioned uber can you think of a platform that has an easier way to transact business. You don't have to pay the cab driver. It just, it just bills you. It just bills you and you, you tap Mm. the, the, the the tip amount. Um, I know you usually tip the $5 button. I tip the $2 button, but, but, you know, from there it's, it's really um, those types of things that ease business process and that, that help us, you know, see things from different perspectives will, will help us, you know, carve out niches, whether it's a small niche or whether it's a major industry paradigm shift.
1: Well, and I think kind of circling back, I mean, that's, that's where we all need to be as business owners. Of like, okay, yes, it, most of your time should be, and it's a conversation I have with my team every day, and, and I'm sure you're thinking this way too. Is like, how do we bring more value? How do we, how do we uh, sort of innovate on a daily basis? And if we can't innovate on a daily basis because you're just grinding, let's innovate on a weekly basis. I think it's uh, Google, even when they, you know, they started. And they really set aside time for every employee, right? That, that they said, hey, you go work on a project you want to work on. Any project you want to work on. And I'm still kind of a small business. I think I'd, I would like to, <laughs> I would really love that opportunity and just tell my team, hey, just take one day a week and just work on anything you want. We're not there right now, but I do challenge them. Say, hey, take, take some time. And just how do you provide a higher level of service? And, and that, just asking that question, I think is one of the keys to, to any company. But then also kind of going like, all right, what's going on? What's on my left and right, right? Yes. So I think, all right. So you and I talked earlier, we're both fans of of Dale Carnegie. You actually went even deeper into Dale Carnegie training. Um, If anybody's listening and doesn't know Dale Carnegie um, wrote, is it the best-selling business book ever? How to Win Friends and Influence People?
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, at least a a long time ago, it was the number two selling book of all time behind uh, something called The Bible. Oh, my gosh.
1: Well, I like both those books. And, and, you know, the world would be a better place if we spent more time reading both those books. I'm just saying, right? Uh, um, or a Koran or a Torah, or I don't want to leave anybody out. So, um, yes, yes, yes. But I would say, how to win friends and influence people. Someone gave me, I told you, a copy of the book when I was in like seventh grade. And I remember reading this line that said, it's better to be interested than interesting. And I thought, oh, crap. I've been, I've been trying to be interesting and and then, but it was, it's really nice that it sat in there. Tell me a little bit about your Dale Carnegie background and give us a little tip that can help us in 2021.
0: Yeah. So I think, um, you know, there's a lot, so I won't give you the whole story, but uh, I was an engineering major who was all of a sudden in a sales job without any formal sales training. So I went to the Dale Carnegie Center of Excellence. This is when I was in New York at the time. So right on third Avenue there. And I became a student and a lot of my co- my, my other students were in finance or commercial real estate. And, and you know I was a dimmer salesman at the time. So it really helped me grow. And then I got really enthusiastic in the course that I decided to be kind of an unpaid teaching assistant so I could sit through the course over and over and over again eventually went through the instructor training. So, and there's a time in my life where I was doing, you know, sales teach training and instruction, not for Dale Carnegie, but for other um, organizations. So, so it was a passion of mine. And back when I read actually a lot of paper books and nonfiction, I I really got immersed into the topic of sales and sales training and sales psychology and sales strategy. So it really was a springboard and keep in mind, that was the sales course that I took at Dale Carnegie, not the the human relations course, which is also good, but um, it was more of the business take on it. So some of the principles that, that, that are woven throughout and even just some of the basic stuff which is more human principles is you know the, 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 the to any person the sound of his or her own name is the sweetest sound that there is and that resonates so paying attention to the person's name Mike and, and using it in conversation and even little things like um, you know if you meet someone um, named Jonathan is Jonathan is that with or without an H or or you know Melissa with one l or two or you know just just whatever whatever it makes sense you know, they, they, people appreciate being um, paid attention to. And then that also helps you remember their name so that you can use it at the end of the phone call or the end of the conversation or things like that. But, but aside from that, from the, from the business strategy, um, it's really, I think part of what you mentioned about the interested, interesting is, 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 you know, the, um, take a sincere interest in the other person and do it sincerely. That's actually one of the subheadings of one of the chapters of the, the How to Win Friends and Influence People book. And you know, so it's really, it's really that. Sometimes in business, we're so excited to share our story that we, 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 we throw up on the customer with our, our facts and benefits and, and how great our, our product is, but we fail to ask the right questions, engage um, what the important matters of the day are to our prospect, and, um, you know, solution selling and those types of things are, are in line with this type of principle, but really the having, you know, two years, two years and one mouth and using them in that proportion is, is really smart. You listen, you take the feedback, and then you can target the types of things that you want to share mm. so that rather than listing a dozen benefits, you list the five that really matter.
1: Yeah. I, I like that. I have a client actually in the lighting industry and he refers to it, to it as a techno vomit when they just <laughs> kind of come out and and you know and and being sensitive to what's happening in the world especially the last you know 14 15 months our levels of and it's going to sound like a bad word but our levels of desperation kind of go up and down there's a lot of people in our industry that you know maybe went two or three quarters without getting a commission
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know there's a lot of people and and sort of like when you're when you're being successful and you've got a big market share and you know your family is going to be uh is, is going to be fed and your house bills paid for you can kind of go through it kind of going like hey let's find out the solution hey what what can i do for you and and let's find out how we can help your next project as opposed to some people kind of in the industry right now just might be like oh my gosh we can do this we're the best solution for this and we could do this we could do this we could do this we could do this oh wait you really need us to do this and, that. and it's like oh it's so hard to have chill it, it And and I've been there. I've been a zero commission, like a, a zero commission. Yeah, I've been a zero commission, zero base guy. I've, I've been there. I've been a zero base, 100% commission guy. And there are those times you're like, I really need this job. And you're trying so hard to go like, I really, really need this job. And what's important to you on this job? And I really need this job. You know, like, yeah. it's almost like in the different seasons of sales, you still want to stay interesting. What's a tip somebody could have if maybe there's a little more pressure on them right now how can they how can they keep their energy up
0: this episode of the office marketing podcast is brought to you by fusion advisory we help
1: commercial contractors generate leads online profitably check us out at fusion-advisory.com
0: okay so there's there's a, a, a lot of things there so i think there's <laughs> yeah pretty, uh, yeah
1: I, so I was hey by the way i was pulling off scabs from scars <laughs> i didn't even know i had Al. i was just i was i was having a lot of memories there brother
0: yeah, no, this is totally cool. I get you, and it's so so, and I feel some of that pain too, by the way. But but yeah, I think I think no matter what industry you're in, no matter what industry it could be you, you know, automobiles, right? Um, people tend to say that it's a relationship business, right? No matter what business you're in, so so we need to remember that 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 um, you know that we only have one reputation, and if we soil it for the short-term gain, then it's going to have long-term impact. And if you plan on staying in the business world or in that industry for a while. That's going to have a negative effect on you, and you may, you know, really you know, look to other examples of that of maybe coworkers or colleagues or competitors that have done similar things, and and you can capitalize on their mistakes by being the taking the high road and doing things the right way, even if you don't win that order, you'll win their their customer loyalty because it's not about customer satisfaction, it's about customer loyalty and building that book over time. So so what I would say is, um, you know, especially for those people that are involved in. Um, the high risk, high reward. You can have a year where you're knocking the number out of the park, and you know those 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 sales just fall on your lap. These huge deals that 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 you know would make anyone's year all of a sudden you're having a quarter with three of them on the table. So there's going to be the, the 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 ebbs and flows of the business. And for many people, the last couple of years, the last year and a half have been um, you know a challenge where where we're getting more competitive. We're seeing competitors like cut price to levels that 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 are head scratchingly low how are they making a dime of profit on that so um you know at the same time we need to just play the long game and you know i'm I'm not gonna turn this into a, a a seminar on personal finance, you know, if, if you have that personal financial pressure, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, to kind of balance the long game with that short-term thing. But just remember, you only have one reputation. That customer is going to be someone that you want to have a relationship with uh, over, over a long time. And, you know, winning the battle but losing the war is, is not a smart move for one's career.
1: I like it. I like it. That's, that's always good to remember. All right. So I'm super, I want you to, um, I want you to talk a little bit about inside lighting, yeah. So I, I went to um, Inside.Lighting. So just know that if you're typing that in and you're trying to check out what Al's doing, check it out. It's a, I'm super excited about it. I like it. When, when we walked through it together, I really had like three, I even said it to you earlier. I had kind of like three eureka moments where I'm like, because guys, it, anybody that's listening, you know, I worked um, for a lighting rep for five years and I did a lot of enterprise type projects across state lines and and what al's put together is valuable for so many people on the specifier level the project management level uh, even on the on the on the dealer level dealer rep side um, and the manufacturer side I mean al you're you're touching some really cool people here why don't you tell us what you're doing
0: yeah sure so um, as a factory guy um, I've always had the, the idea in the back of my head for a long time like I wish there was one website that would just list who the major players are in each marketplace because um, like you mentioned, I mean, there could be a, a, a specifier in New York who's working on a project, um, you know, in Alabama or, or another place. So, so a lot of the, the, the people in the industry could benefit from something, whether you're a manufacturer specifier agent, and it's all kind of publicly available information as far as who the, who the agents are and the various marketplaces and, and you know there's 60 to 70 marketplaces in North America we break it down to 100 because we want like New Hampshire to be its own if someone's searching for New Hampshire lighting help they click on New Hampshire which is the same as Vermont which is the same as Maine so so we claim to break it down to 100 territories for that reason um but but you know, it's all publicly available but it was in the past it was kind of an Easter egg hunt to say okay who are the major players in Salt Lake City and Albuquerque and even in New York you know most people in our industry could list you know five to 10 agents in New York, but there's like 20 something listed on the website because there's that many agents there. So we thought that it would be a great way to kind of show who the manufacturer and agent relationships are in each marketplace. Um, But then when um, I really started uh, dedicating some interest to it and then having a resource that people went to frequently became a more important initiative, realized that people wouldn't visit the website three times a week to see who the um, brand X agent was in Sheboygan. So I needed to provide more up-to-date resources. So I have a lot of uh, research reports. And even now in the past year and a half when uh, disinfection lighting with UVC became, ultraviolet light became a very popular product. We have a product type. We have a lot of information on ultraviolet light technology. So we like to be a resource that helps people do their jobs easier and faster for, for lighting people as well as people in professions related to lighting. And then over time, we've, we've grown quite a, quite a following um, as far as having a, a larger audience, which is then attracting a lot more advertisers to help support the site and, and help us grow.
1: I, I love it. I'm so happy for you. You actually came, you had an idea and you implemented it. And I'm always in awe of that. And you did a great job, Al. It's really, it, it's very, very cool. And if you're a specifier listening and you're in Atlanta doing a project in Texas, find out who reps lines in texas when you write your spec i, I like you might think i can just grab and, and yes you're right specify it with any fixture you want go ahead i'm not telling you not to but if you want your job to go smoothly and easily and be more copacetic as you walk through with your general contractors and your electricians if you can keep your specification with one line or just approve you know have uh, you know approved alternates Your life is going to be easier. The GC is going to love you. The electrician is going to love you. If you just knew, believe me, you and I can unpack for three days and talk about sort of, we can go down that road and talk about specification. But really, if you're doing an out-of-state spec, find out who it is. You use inside.lighting, find out who it is, and try to specify and have an approved mainline with one, uh, I don't care who you use. It's a lot easier if you have one rep or one dealer that can take care of you in that outer territory.
0: For sure. And the specifier will get a lot fewer substitution reviews to, 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 to approve, deny um, or resubmit type type things that is, is billable hours for them possibly, but maybe not a lot of billable hours because they just get inundated with those things. So you're right. If they align their 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 specifications and fix your schedules with the, the the territory, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Right. And if you and if you don't know why that makes sense, ask somebody who's done one other major lighting project out of state, and they'll walk you through why that why that's a challenge. Again, all right. So walk us through a little bit more about you, Al. What's something that not everybody in the world knows about Al Yuzinski?
0: Wow. Okay. Um, well, I, I I think one thing I like, which is tied to the business thing, is that. I actually started my sales career in high school. So while I had odd jobs, like I, I, I worked at a grocery store bagging groceries and I'm from the Boston area. So it wasn't Star Market where I worked, it was Stom Stomlocket. And yeah, I love um, it. So back and forth, another odd jobs. But I, I wanted to buy like a, a used car. Maybe once I had a car, maybe a cheerleader might go on a date with me. And that still didn't happen. But um, so I, I went to the want ads and I tried to find the highest paying job that a high school kid without even a high school degree could 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 qualify for. And um, I ended up getting jobs in telemarketing. This was back when there was less restrictions on calling people at home. We used the paper white pages in, in, in the, the 1980s when I was doing this, the late 80s, and calling people during the dinner hour trying to sell various products. I worked for mainly two companies. One was uh, like a, a, a major lawn care company trying to sell chemical treatments to your lawn. And then the other one was a frozen food service trying to you know sell you a food delivery service where really they made their money on the freezer and then the, the, the kind of, it was like software as a service before that was even a thing because they were just loading your freezer in your garage every month with, uh, with pork chops and, and frozen salmon.
1: I love it. I love it. You and I, we totally have proud. In 1987 and 88, I worked for a company here in Atlanta called the Computer Exchange. And I would literally call up companies and try to buy their old mainframes, which now are probably one-tenth as powerful as our iPhones. and try to sell them new servers and in-house servers in-house computers and all this other stuff and i i love it and you know what i learned from that al i learned that when i hang up the phone that person doesn't exist
0: right right so if they say
1: no it's like okay next one next one let's go
0: I, i i don't like it when people boil sales down to just a numbers game but there there is a component of that. There's there's multifaceted, but one of the components is that the the more attempts you make, the more likely you are to find a a new customer. And that's the same in a lot of things, like the more at-bats that a player gets, the more singles um, they'll hit in a baseball game. So so when you you look at those types of things, um, yes, understanding and and accepting that that, um, every rejection gets you that much closer to the next uh, new customer. Um, And then for me, it was also uh, an early lesson as I, as I compared that type of job, which had a large portion of the income was focused on the incentives of making sales or making appointments for the outside salesperson to go visit, um, I compared that to the other options of making $4 and change an hour, stocking the shelves of a supermarket. And I realized that it wasn't about showing up to work and just kind of plodding through your job to get paid It was about performance-based income, Mm. even though it was very little income back in the day. But it helped me kind of make that connection of the harder you work and to to the point where I didn't want to take, I worked a four-hour telemarketing shift. I didn't want to take a 15-minute break, the full 15 minutes, because that I could have called, you know, um, five homeowners in that time and maybe talk to one decision maker. So it was That's those types awesome. of early lessons that helped us uh, appreciate and set the ground for. Uh, this for is we're why doing.
1: we're friends Al. This is exactly why we're friends. I love, I, I <laughs> love this, this Moxie, you know, uh, being a, a Boston and a Philly guy, you know, having that as your background and bringing that down here, d- down here to the South, it, it's kind of nice. All right. So, um, if you had to go with a Boston Italian sub or a Philly cheesesteak, which one are you gonna go with?
0: You know, I, I, uh, I lean towards Boston and everything, my sports loyalties and um, you know, where, where I would live if I had to move back to one of those cities. But in this, in this very specific topic, um, it would be the Philly cheesesteak provolone with, which that's code when you order it to be the provolone cheese, not the cheese whiz, not the American cheese, provolone, and then the with means with onions, so that's what mm. I would go with. And I have a few recommendations of uh, where to get it. If yeah, you're we're going?
1: Pat's, Gino's, so. Jim's. Where are you going?
0: Yeah, well, I like I like uh, I like Jim, but Tony Luke's is, is 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 right there on Oregon Avenue, and that's become my new favorite.
1: <laughs> all right, good. Well, we need you need to send me a link so we can put it in the in the show notes because that's absolutely fantastic. Um, all right, one other one, and what's nice is I shoot a couple of random questions to people, and I love the way you answered this one, but. All right, so you're going back any time in history, right? You can literally just go. It's Al Uzynski. He's going to jump into his time machine. He gets to go there for six hours, and he just comes back. By the way, you don't get to go buy stock. <laughs> Sorry, but you just get to go, observe for six hours, and then you come back. Where are you going, Al?
0: Okay, so um, I'm not much of a history buff, but, but today I love news, and I love sports, and that's probably makes up most of what I watch. So if I had to um, think about your question as far as what period of time I want to go back, I think something that was a really earth-shattering event back in the 1930s was Jesse Owens like dominating the 1936 Olympics. And you think about all the factors that was, you know, just, just the athletic story there was remarkable. But then you bring in, you know some of the the other things with with Hitler being in the stands and the, what the world was going through with the with the world wars and everything else. So so I think that would have been just an amazing time to witness all the dynamics, the human dynamic, the athletic triumph, the geopolitical stuff, um, the, the, the the racial undertones. Um, that would have been amazing to witness, and I think that would um, be off the top of my head what I would choose.
1: Yeah, I. I'm literally like just popping my entire body with chills as you're saying that. Cause I'm picturing myself being there and, and we've seen it in black and white and you see just Hitler there being just absolutely disgusted that this American is winning over and over. And every time I see pictures of Jesse Owen, Pat, you know, crossing the finish line winning, I'm like, yeah, that guy ran track in high school and I'm like, it, and it, I I'm like, just in awe of everything that he did and to have the political strife and all that that he had to deal with is, is yeah. just my heart is with him and I love him and I'm and um and there's such an amazing amazing American just really Jesse was just an or really just an amazing American
0: 100 I yeah. agree
1: All right. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it, Al? If someone wanted to learn more, they wanted to learn more about how to be a part of Inside.Lighting or Inside Lighting, um, how to lean on you as a consultant, you know, how to, if someone just wanted to pick your brain and kind of bring you in to help their company, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I don't advertise my consulting services. I just kind of luckily have had some good clients and some referrals along the way that get me there. So the best way is to go through the website and it's inside.lighting, www.inside.lighting. Yes. .lighting is a domain. um, But if you type insidelighting.com, that'll make you find me too. There's a contact page there that's easily, it's easy to find. So if you go to inside.lighting, hit the contact page. You can enter a message in the text box, or you'll see the phone number there. Give me a call, send me a text message, and we'll uh, we'll connect one way or the other. And I'm happy to get plugged into uh, all the great people and your fantastic audience. I love what you're doing, Mike. Um, I, I'm a, a a loyal downloader and a fairly frequent listener. So I appreciate everything that you're doing, um, to, to bring the word out and the business strategies out to, uh, to stretch our minds and and outside of the paradigm that we work in. And I think it's a, it's an exciting thing. And I'd love to connect more with your, with your audience. So thank you.
1: Well, thanks Al. And again, thanks everybody for, for listening. And, um, just again, again, a qualifier, Al doesn't pay me anything to be on this podcast. I love everything he's doing. He's a wonderful human being. And, uh, And anything uh, to share his story was definitely worth the time. Thanks, Al.
0: Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. Be sure to join the conversation on our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.